0: And so to do this, we've had many people to do it, but uh we're going to welcome you to our community as if you're the first. So I'm going to ask you to repeat after me, inshallah, first in Arabic and then in English. Say, "Ashhadu Allah, ilaha illa Allah, illa Allah, wa Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasul Allah." I bear witness. That there is only one God And that Muhammad Muhammad Is his final messenger messenger. Welcome to our community Welcome home Inshallah you can have a seat And all the brothers will uh, Hug you in about an hour Inshallah Hopefully they won't forget by then Congratulations though We ask Allah to bless you in your journey And to keep you firm and steadfast And to protect you And to allow you to find the best of this life and the best of the next uh, through this journey. Allahumma ameen. alhamdulillah wa ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi So, tonight inshallah ta'ala, we are going to be continuing with another one of our mothers, another one of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and certainly one of the most unique stories that we find from the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi And it's interesting because her name is very common amongst the Muslims. Safiyyah radiallahu ta'ala The name Safiyyah, you will find very common amongst the Muslims, unlike the name Juwayriyah, for example. But there is so much to her story about the life of a woman that lives under suspicion as a convert to Islam because of her background. And that is, of course, that Safiyyah ta'ala is the only wife of the Prophet sallallahu from a Jewish background. In fact, she's the only wife of the Prophet sallallahu who's not from an Arab background, okay? So she has a very unique story. And of course there's much wisdom, and as we said, if you look at the nature of the enemies of the Prophet ﷺ at the time, he marries three daughters of three of the chiefs of his enemies, Abu Sufyan from Quraysh. He marries Um Umm Habiba, radiAllahu ta'ala anha, and Abu Sufyan would of course become Muslim. He marries Juwayriya bint al-Harith, the daughter of the chief of Banu al who was plotting on the Prophet sallallahu And al-Harith became Muslim as a result of that. And of course here Safiya radiAllahu ta'ala anha, who we're going to be speaking about, the daughter of one of the chief enemies of the Prophet sallallahu who did not become Muslim. But of course, one of the greatest ways, as we said, that you find a people come together is through the marriage of a leader to someone from that tribe and in this situation with Safiya radhiyallahu ta'ala anha there's so much to her story for us to really unpack now one of the uh, beautiful gems that we take from this is that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is going to marry in Safiya radhiyallahu ta'ala anha a descendant of Ibrahim alayhi salam and through Ibrahim a descendant also of Harun alayhi salam so she is descending through the line of prophets and of course, some of the symbolism of this, that the Prophet ﷺ is marrying someone from the lineage of Bani Israel. And in the case of Isa Alayhi when Isa Islam returns, one of the things that's narrated from Ka'b ibn al-Ahbar, uh, rahimahullah ta'ala wa anhu, is that Isa Alayhi would marry a woman from this ummah, from the ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu wa Wasallam, when he resides on this earth. And he spe- specifically said from Banu Asad, which is the tribe of Khadija ta'ala anha, So the Prophet marrying a descendant of Harun and by extension, uh, her uncle, her great uncle is Musa And after Muhammad will come Isa And Isa will marry from the Ummah of Muhammad And uh, of course, this is just a saying of a tabi'i in this regard, uh, perhaps a woman that is of kin to Khadija in specific. So who is Safiya radiAllahu taala anha? Number one, her name was actually Safiya, and Safiya means chosen one. Now, some of the uh, writers and authors said that it could mean that the Prophet sallallahu chose her, but it appears Allahu alam, that that was always her name. So her name was not changed from any other name, as was the case of Juhayriyya radiAllahu taala anha or others, but rather it was her name uh, growing up. And there were other women that were named Safiya at the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Uh, Can anyone tell me any famous ones? Any famous Safiyas? Anyone? You'd make me really, really happy because we covered one of them in the first. Yeah. The aunt of the Prophet ﷺ, Safiyya bint Abdul Muttalib, the mother of Az-Zubair ibn Safiyya, radiyallahu ta'ala anha, so Safiyya bint Abdul Muttalib. Another famous Safiyyah, not so famous, but famous because of her family, is Umar radiallahu anhu had a sister named Safiyyah. So Safiyyah bint al-Khattab uh, as well. So there were other Safiyyahs at the time of the Prophet sallallahu uh, alaihi and it wasn't an uncommon name at the time. Now this Safiyyah is the daughter of Huyay ibn Akhtab. Huyay ibn Akhtab. And Huyay ibn Akhtab is the chief of the most powerful Jewish tribe in Medina, banu Nadir. Banul Nadir. So her father is the chief of one of the most, or, or actually the most powerful Jewish tribe in Medina at the time, banu Nadir. Her mother is named Barra Bint Samawil, Samuel. Barra Bint Samawil. And she is from the royals of banu Qurayda, another powerful Jewish tribe in Medina at the time. Okay? So you have a woman of noble lineage and who has a very interesting story of the Prophet Some coming to Medina because, of course, these tribes had settled in Medina in anticipation of a prophet that was to arise amongst them. That is why you had a migration of those tribes of the people of the book to the area because they had traced in the Bible that this was the place that a prophet would arise. And in the case of these tribes, they were expecting a prophet to, to be a continuation of Bani Israel, to be an Israelite as well. Now Safiya radiallahu anha narrates the story from here. As a child growing up, and then anticipating the arrival of the prophets, a prophet of Allah in that region, because that was the story of those tribes in the region. And then the prophet salallahu alayhi wasalam, coming to Quba. So she tells the story herself. She says, Kuntu abi ilahi That I was the most beloved of my children to my father. ياسر, and to my uh, father, uh, to my uncle, Abi Yasir. And she says, دونه, That if they saw me amongst, their own, uh, amongst any other children, if they saw me amongst my siblings, or even my uncle Abu Yasir saw me amongst his own children, then they would only pay attention to me because of how much they loved me. So I was the closest to my father and I was the closest to my uncle. And this is important context, okay? She's saying that my father adored me. And this is something, subhanAllah, that the scholars will talk about and that, you know, when when you read the history, even of some of the greatest tyrants, that tyrants are different sometimes in their household with their family. They have that cognitive dissonance. So she speaks very uh, lovingly about her father and how he treated her Despite the way that he's going to treat the Prophet ﷺ and other people. So, with me, he was amazing. She said, She said, So, when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina and he arrived in Quba, so this is the very beginning of the Hijrah, the very beginning of the Hijrah, then my father and my uncle immediately went to Quba' in the morning to see if he was him, to see if that was the Prophet that they had been waiting for. So she's at home. She says that they came after Ghurub al-Shams, after the sunset. So they spent the whole day in Quba' and basically she's waiting at the door. She's waiting to see her father and her uncle and hear the, the news. So she says, "Fataya,, Kalanini,,mshi, al-ini." So she says that they came looking defeated, you know, uh, slumping, beat down, and basically, they paid no attention to me whatsoever. So she says, كُنْتُ أَصْنَعَ So I went to them the way that I used to do, to my uncle, to my father especially. And she said that, Wallahi Maltafata إِلَيَّ ilay, وَاحِدٌ minhum."a Not a single one of them turned towards me. I mean, my, my father and my uncle completely ignored me. Like they were so overcome by what had just happened that they didn't even look at me. So she said that my uncle Abu Yasir then spoke to my father. And he said to him, أَهُوَهُ Is it really him? Is it really him? أَهُوَهُ Is it really him? قَالَ نَعْمُ وَاللَّهُ And my father Qiyai said I swear by Allah it's him So Sophia is watching this conversation unfold before her فَقَالَ Her uncle says to her father You know him? You are able to confirm that this is the Prophet of Allah? That this is the one we've been waiting for? قَالَ نَعْمُ He said yes the uncle is clearly waiting for instructions from the father, the head of the tribe. So what do you say about him? What should we do? And he said, wallahi ma I will be his enemy as long as I'm alive. So I'm his enemy. So subhanAllah, you have these polar opposite reactions. You had Abdullah ibn Salam radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the chief rabbi of Medina. And as soon as he saw the Prophet ﷺ, he embraced him in Quba. But this shows you where the political and the scholarly come to clash. The same reason why in Mecca, Abu Jahl rejects the Prophet ﷺ. He listens to the Quran. He says, this is divine revelation. I know it. But what does Abu Jahl say when he confirms to those that are closest to him, I know he's a prophet of Allah. I know he's telling the truth. He says, but he's from Banu Hashim and I'm from Banu Mahzum. If I give Banu Hashim a prophet, what will happen to Banu Makzum? So the scholarly class here, the chief rabbi finds it easy to accept the Prophet ﷺ and to take this as a confirmation of an extension. Huyay ibn Akhtab says, we're going to be at war because he's not from us. He's not from the offspring of Bani Israel. So this is the prelude to Khaybah. Now, the Prophet ﷺ, you know, we talked about this last week. He knows about the father of Juwayriyah hiding two camels in Wadi Aqiq He knows about Al-Abbas, anhu, hiding his wealth back in Mecca. He knows all of these things through divine revelation. He's able to tell you about things that are happening inside the Kaaba, even from a distance, so many different things. The Prophet, وسلم, knows who the hypocrites of Medina are as well. Why didn't the Prophet, وسلم, just do something about it then? Right? The Prophet, وسلم, is actually showing his justice even in these first seven years. The enmity was declared before the Prophet even set foot in Medina when he was still out in Quba, the enmity was declared. But the Prophet does not treat them in accordance with rumors. And in fact, the Prophet tries to reconcile the tribes. He tries his best for years to try to bring people together and to try to eliminate the feelings of spite and malice. And of course he succeeds with some and others are stuck on fighting him sallallahu and undermining him at every turn. Now, this is now towards the end of the Madani seerah where Allah Azza wa starts to expose the plots of the people. So Abdullah ibn Ubay bin Salul was exposed last time in al Mustaliq. That's when the exposure of Abdullah ibn Ubay bin Salul happened because that's when he took the opportunity to say, when we get back to Medina, then we're going to displace him. We're going to take over. And he obviously spreads the slander of our mother Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha and causes the destruction that he causes. Now you have Khaybar, Banu Nadir and Banu Quraidha. And Huyay, her father, is the main one who is working to facilitate the treason from the inside and to harm the Prophet sallallahu from the inside during the Battle of Khandaq. So the Prophet sallallahu builds a trench with the companions to protect himself from the outside and from the en- enemies that are coming from Mecca. And Huyay is the main instigator, the chief instigator, to work with the outside, the external enemy, despite everything in between them, despite all the treaties, to try to harm the Prophet ﷺ from within. So you have this political player here, you have the hypocrites of Medina that are also working against the Prophet, ﷺ, and you have the Prophet's enemies from Mecca. Obviously Allah gives the Prophet some victory against his enemies in Khandaq. They're able to ward off the attack, the onslaught. And the Prophet is given victory on the inside as well. And so Huyay, being, from the chief of, being the chief of Banu Nadir, he is killed in Khaybar, seven years after hijrah. So her father is killed. Now Safiyya radiAllahu ta'ala anha, her husband also would be killed. So her father is killed and her husband is killed. Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha was married twice before the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. First, she was married to a man by the name of Salam ibn Mushkim, and they were divorced. And then her second husband, by her words, was a man by the name of Kinan ibn Abil Huqayq. And Kinana ibn Abil Huqayq was one of the chief insiders against the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam as well, one of the chief poets. And by her words was also an abusive husband. So subhanAllah, you get very personal here because you'll actually get to hear some of these things that he actually physically uh, abused her. And particularly she mentioned her last memory with her husband to be an abusive memory. And guess what it was? She woke up from a dream where she saw the moon rising over Khaybar. So remember, Juwayriya radiallahu anha saw the moon rising over Mureysia. And here Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha sees the dream that all of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu will see of the moon rising. al <tala'> alena, <al-badru alayna> The moon rises in a very specific way. So she wakes up and she tells her husband the dream. And she doesn't know what the dream means. This is before Khaybar happens. She just thinks it's a beautiful dream that she saw a full moon rising over Khaybar. And she says that my husband started to physically beat me. He punched me in the face. And he said to ريدينَ مَلَكِ يثرب, that you want the king of Yathrib that you're desiring the king of Yathrib, you're desiring Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and that's the dream that you had. So she said, he physically assaulted me and was uh, violent uh, as a result of that. So subhanallah, Khaybar happens, and both her father and her husband will die in Khaybar. Now, this is where you start to see some of the harshness of the realities of battle, and you start to see the Prophet upholding a different level of ethics and a different level of nobility. When the battle of Khaybar was over, Bilal was escorting the women of Khaybar away from the battlefield. But he passed by the site of the battle. Okay, so they saw the casualties basically. And this was something the Prophet وسلم, did not like to happen. He didn't like that the relatives see their fallen ones. Think about that, by the way, and compare the Prophet ﷺ from a moral perspective to his enemies, who literally mutilated the bodies and left them strung up and hung up in all types of tamathil, all types of displays, after they killed them in Uhud. The Prophet ﷺ did not like that the families of the casualties will see them no matter what has transpired. And Bilal made a mistake in walking directly by where the fallen were. And Safiya describes a woman that was with her that started to scream and that started to shout and that started to lose it basically. And the Prophet ﷺ got mad and he said to Bilal, عنه, he said, Anuziyat minka rahmatu ya Bilal. He said, Has mercy been taken from you, O Bilal? That you would take these women and you would let them see their fallen loved ones, that you'd let them see their fallen men has has rahmah been taken from you O Bilal so the prophet instructed Bilal radiyallahu anhu to take them away not to let them see the sight so this is part of the humanity of the situation as well in Khaybar now Anas radiyallahu ta'ala anhu he describes he says that the captives were at Khaybar the prisoners of war were at Khaybar and as they were uh, at Khaybar Dihya radiyallahu ta'ala anhu he took Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha and a group of captives and others took a group of captives and a man came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taqala ya nabiya Allah dihya Safiyyata bint Huyay sayyidata Quraidha wal O oh, Prophet of Allah you gave dihya a captive who was Safiya bint Huyay she is the princess or she is the leader a princess sayyida of Quraidha and Nadir. she's a noble woman of both Quraidha and it's not befitting for her to go to anyone except for you. Meaning, again, a captive of the noble family should go to the noble conqueror. In the case of there's a conquest, of course, this is a case of warding off an attack from the inside and the Prophet says, I'm winning a battle. But what he means by that is that she should be your captive, not your wife. Right? She should be your captive, right? That she's too noble to simply be a captive to someone else. So the Prophet, وسلم, he calls Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha forward. And he says to Safiyya, you know, as if to tell her, subhanAllah, why this had to happen, why the reality of battle had to take place the way that it did. He said, Lam yazal abuki min لي عداوة adawatan قتله الله He said, Listen, your father was the most vicious of the Jewish tribes towards me until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took him. Like I'm not a person who likes to kill people. I'm not a person who likes to have these battles. The Prophet ﷺ was not seeking this type of a situation. And the answer of Safiya surprised the Prophet sallallahu. She said, I said to the Prophet sallallahu, Rasulullah, inna Allah yaqulu fi kitabih wa taziru waziratun wizra She said, I said to the Messenger of Allah, "O Messenger of Allah, Allah says in his book that no one bears the burden of another person." was surprising because she's quoting Quran to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Right? And there are numerous things that the scholars will mention here. Perhaps, obviously, proximity. People live amongst each other. There's an exchange of information. Muslims are getting to know uh, the, the Jews of Medina. And in non-hostile situations, there is you know, an explanation and perhaps something is being recited. But the fact that she quotes to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam this ayah is very interesting. And look at what the Prophet SallAllahu does. The Prophet SallAllahu says to her, Ikhtari, I give you the choice. Fa in linafsi, wa in an he said to her, look, I'm going to give you the choice. This is again a noble gesture from the Prophet SallAllahu to her. He says to her, if you become Muslim, I'll keep you with me. And if you choose to remain Amongst the Jewish tribes If you choose to retain your Jewish religion Then I'll send you back to your people free uh, you know, I'll actually free you And send you back to your people This is a noble gesture That is not expected of the Prophet ﷺ By any means right? That okay you're a noble woman And you don't seem to be someone Who did anything wrong So you have a choice Now when the Prophet ﷺ said that And this is important in the context When he said that I will keep you the context or what she understands from that is that the Prophet ﷺ will take her as a captive if she becomes Muslim or the Prophet ﷺ will free her if she retains her religion. So she says, Ya Rasulullah, لَقَدْ هَوَيْتُ الْإِسْلَامَ وَصَدَّقْتُ بِكَ قَبْلَ أَن تَدْعُونِي حَيْثُ صِرْتُ إِلَىٰ رَحْلِكَ وَمَا لِي فِي الْيَهُودِيَةِ arab وَمَا لِيَ فِيهَا وَالِدٌ وَلَا أخ." So she says to the Prophet Ya Rasulullah, I have longed for Islam and I testified to your prophethood before you invited me to, to, to before you invited me to this religion. And she said, I have no guardian amongst my tribe, I have no father there, I have no brother there, no one is left for me amongst my people. And she says, Wa Hayartanil Kufra Islam. And she said, you're giving me a choice to basically remain upon disbelief or to become a Muslim. This is the choice that I'm hearing from you. So it sounds bad because I'm either going to be a captive and a Muslim or I'm going to be free and upon my other religion. And she's saying, I actually want to become Muslim. So she says, in that case, فَاللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ مِنَ العتق. Allah and his messenger are more beloved to me than freedom. So she's actually now expressing her sincerity towards Islam. And she says, وَنْ ila me and For me to go back to my people, and the Prophet وسلم, uh, of course, this was pleasing to him wasallam. but what he meant the entire time was that he was offering her to marry her, which would be a far more noble place than taking her as a captive. He doesn't have to do anything wasallam. The expectation, in fact, is that he takes her as a captive, the Prophet instead, frees her, and he... Proposes to her to marry her And so the Prophet Effectively marries her In this regard Now subhanAllah there is so much to unpack here Number one the fact that the Prophet Gave her the choice to go back to her people And to retain her religion And no harm on you whatsoever So it shows you the rahmah of the Prophet Towards her Number two the Prophet Did not retain her in captivity But in fact the Prophet Honored her And this was a hard thing to swallow for the Muslims because she's from Banu Nadir, which was deeply hostile towards the Muslims. It's a hard thing for them to swallow. And the Prophet on top of that establishes something in the ethics of war that was also unheard of at the time. He establishes a'inda for the captives. A'inda means there's a waiting period for the captives as well. Before they, would, uh, before they would have any type of intimacy or cohabitation or whatever it may be. So the Prophet ﷺ sets her free, gives her, you know, her, her freedom as her mahr. He marries her SallAllahu Alaihi and the Prophet SallAllahu allows the indah to proceed. The Inda at that point is one cycle or if a pregnancy is there until they deliver. And so she stays with Umm Sulaim, radiAllahu ta'ala anha, the mother of Anas ibn Malik radiAllahu anhu and she observes her indah with Umm Sulaim. So they make their way back to Medina. Now the Prophet ﷺ was patient in that the Prophet ﷺ waited for her to signal when she was ready for the marriage to actually take place, for the walima to take place. And it was very interesting that she had initially signaled in one place and then she actually said no and the Prophet ﷺ simply kept on going. right? And then she told the Prophet ﷺ afterwards that the reason why I had initially said that I was ready for the Walima and then I said not yet, was because she feared that the location that they were in was still close to her people and she feared that a counter-attack was going to come. And she said, I was afraid that she'd be caught by surprise. So I was more comforted if we would go further away from the location of Khaybar in that regard. And the Prophet confirmed her truthfulness. So some of the Sahaba were like, we don't trust her. And by the way, Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha's entire life struggle is going to be, we don't trust her. Subhanallah, this is so evident in her life and it's her unique fitna, her unique struggle that we don't trust her, that that constantly is going to be put towards her way. And Az-Zuhri rahimahullah says, Kanat that the Prophet Sallallahu immediately admired Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha. And he loved Safiya radiallahu anha, her sense of loyalty, her sense of truthfulness. And the Prophet Sallallahu held the walima for Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha with uh, Tamr and Sawiq and hais. I know those of you that took the class with Shaykh Yasir Burjass, the one thing I will admit Shaykh Yasser Bajas does better than me is cook. Shaykh Yasir can cook, mashallah. So I know Shaykh Yasser brought the Hais forward and the Sawiq and showed you the way the date paste was. The Prophet Sallallahu was a simple man and he loved al he loved the date paste, right? So the wedding of the Prophet وسلم, takes place actually while they're still on the way back to Al-Madina. Umm Sulaym radiallahu ta'ala anha says, I tailored a dress for Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha. And the Prophet وسلم, called for the Walima at a place called Sadd al And haste was prepared and we put a, le- a leather sheet out and the Prophet وسلم, says, Tell everyone to come forward, and basically it was a potluck. People bring forth whatever food that they have. So some people brought cheese, some people brought dates, some people brought butter, and uh, they basically sat together. And the Prophet ﷺ said, "Kulu min walimati ummikum, eat from the walima of your mother." Now, when the Prophet ﷺ calls Safiya your mother, again it's like we're not sure yet. This is her struggle. So first, people were like, is he really gonna go through with this? Again, this is this is the first time the Prophet ﷺ is marrying a woman who's not an Arab and is from a Jewish background, and they're just coming out of Khaybar. Is he re- and she's the daughter of Huyayy ibn Akhtab, who was the most vicious enemy of the Prophet. ﷺ. Like, are you sure? The Prophet ﷺ says, Kulum in Walima Ti eat from the walima of your mother. And they're wondering now, is she gonna be given a sub-status? Is she going to be a captive? Is she going to be held differently? The Prophet Sallallahu uh, dressed her in a, in a means of distinction and he put her behind him Sallallahu on the camel which shows that she is his wife, that she is one of our mothers and in fact SubhanAllah it's one of the things that's narrated of the humility of the Prophet Sallallahu that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he kneeled next to the camel and he put one knee out Sallallahu Alaihi so the way that a person would go down on one knee, his left knee down and his right knee out And he invited Safiya radiallahu anha to basically use his leg to ascend onto the camel. And this was from the humility of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam. In fact, Safiya radiallahu anha said she was extremely shy because he's Rasulullah SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam. Like, what is he doing? But this was the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam showing his humility and showing his grace. Now SubhanAllah, what happens here, and this is one of the most real things that you see about Safiya radiallahu anha is she talks through the difficulty Of that situation And what she would go through Being married to to the Prophet After this difficult time She says that our first night They basically talked the entire night They were talking And they were having these conversations And she narrates all these conversations Between her and the Prophet And she said the first thing The Prophet asked me about Was I had a green scar In my eye A green scar like a post bruise or a cut, but uh, خضرة, there was a green scar, something in my eye. And what was that from? You all remember? When her husband punched her. So SubhanAllah, she's imagined like the, the scar, she had bruising from the, from the hit, but the scar had remained, even some time now has passed. And the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam asked me, ما هذه What is that? What is the green scar that is in your eye? So I said to him, "قُلْتُ لِزَوْجِي إِنِّي رَأَيْتُ يَرَى نَائِمُ قَمَرًا وَقَعَ فِي حِجْرِي فَلَطَمَنِي." That I told my husband that I saw the moon rise over Khaybar and then it came into my home and into my lap. And when I said that, he struck me, and he said to Ridina, "Malika Yathrib, you desire the king of Yathrib." So she says, as I'm talking to the Prophet ﷺ she actually describes that there was one feeling of apprehension that remained. That the Prophet ﷺ, I mean, technically, killed my father and he killed my husband. Right? She loved her father and she understood her husband, obviously, but her father, she specifically... So she's saying, subhanAllah, even inside of herself, that that was the one thing that still remained inside of her towards the Prophet ﷺ. And it's as if the Prophet ﷺ knew and the Prophet وسلم, says, Ya Safiya, inna abaki alamba arab, that your father literally turned the Arabs all against me. I mean, he did this and he did that, and he's saying that this is what your father did, meaning I had no choice at the end of the day but to fight your tribe in this regard. And so she said, the Prophet وسلم, said that Hatta in nafsi until whatever hard feelings I had left me. So I had some hard feelings just about my father and my husband in particular, my father in this regard. And she said, the Prophet وسلم, Like he was apologizing and said he doesn't have to do that Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, but explaining the situation. This is an ugly reality. Her father literally tried to kill the Prophet Sallallahu and committed treason. So she said, until all of that left my heart from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and her heart had nothing but love towards the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this is a human element as well that she's describing the hesitation that existed within her that had left her. Now, something interesting happens here. The Prophet SallAllahu the next day, he comes out of his, uh, his tent with Safiyya radiAllahu anha and he sees Abu Ayyub al Ansari holding a sword. The Prophet SallAllahu looks at Abu Ayyub and says, like, what are you doing? And Abu Ayyub looks at the Prophet SallAllahu and he goes, Allahu Akbar, Kambara. why? <laughs> Can you all guess? He was worried that Safiya was going to do something to the Prophet ﷺ. So he was waiting outside the house of the Prophet ﷺ with a sword, just in case. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, I was just circling around. I was just making sure, just being sure that nothing happens to you. Ya Rasulullah. So the Prophet ﷺ started to laugh. And he said, "Khayra, khayran, inshaAllah. Like, okay. Like you're good, Jazakallahu khaira Like he understands Abu Yub was doing this from a place of sincerity and from a soft spot, and they're genuinely worried about the Prophet's life. And they're like, is the Prophet's being set up for some sort of a counterattack? And then you start to see once again how every single thing now that goes wrong is going to be blamed on Safiya radiAllahu taala anha. So the Prophet's life Wasallam's camel was exhausted. Camels get exhausted too, by the way. This was an exhausting expedition, an exhausting journey. And it was a smaller one. It was only meant to carry one person. So the Prophet and Safiya radiallahu anha on the camel and it was exhausted. It was malnourished at that point in the journey, in the battle. And it couldn't hold the Prophet and Safiyyah. So it stumbled and it fell forward. And the Prophet and Safiyyah, like they slipped. And so the Sahaba turned away quickly from Safiya radiallahu anha. And at that point, what do you think they start to say? They say, oh my God, like he's cursed. Something's happening to the Prophet Sallallahu So they actually, the women look towards the Prophet Sallallahu and they said, May Allah take away the Jewish woman. Distance the Jewish woman from the Prophet Sallallahu So they're blaming Safiyah radiallahu anha. They're saying there's a curse. She's trying to kill him. She's trying to do this. She's trying to do that. And this shows you again that this is going to take a lot from them. And imagine the test for Safiyah radiallahu anha hearing all of this, essentially her Islam is being questioned, her intentions are being questioned with the Prophet Sallallahu They make their way back to Medina, and in fact Dua As-Safar, the return of Dua As-Safar, taibun abidun li rabbina hamidun, is taken from this particular narration when they return back to Medina. So they come back to Medina, and the story of Safia really shows you the human side, by the way, of, of all of uh, the, the actors in this situation. Safiya radiAllahu ta'ala anha, obviously comes back and, it's, and, and the news has reached Medina that the Prophet ﷺ has married the daughter of Ayyah ibn Akhtar the guy that's been trying to have us killed this entire time and that plotted with the Meccans to have us wiped out, the Prophet Sallallahu is coming back and he's married to his daughter so there's a lot of apprehension in Medina all right? Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha meets Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha and she gifted her some of her golden earrings and something else some of the women that were with Fatima radiyallahu anha. And then the women of the Ansar went to see Safiya radiyallahu Anha. And which woman do you think wants to see her really, really quick? Aisha radiyallahu anha. You you already know. You have to know your mother, Aisha radiyallahu anha. Aisha bold straight to the house and she covered herself in a way that she, you know, hoping she wouldn't be recognized uh, as someone that was going out, she, she just she said, I want to just go look at her right? See who she is, see what she's about. So Aisha radiallahu anha rushes quickly to see Safiya radiallahu anha with some of the Ansari women. They're greeting her, but you know, it's not really a fully a greeting, right? It's kind of like, let's feel her out a bit. So the Prophet sees Aisha and Aisha radiallahu anha didn't say anything. She didn't say that she went to see Safiya or anything like that. The Prophet says to Aisha radiallahu anha, so what did you find? <laughs> what did you think? And Aisha radiallahu anha said, I saw another Jewish woman. And the Prophet sallallahu look, this is the justice of the Prophet sallallahu And this is our mother Aisha. Despite her jealousy at the moment, the Prophet sallallahu says, Don't say that, oh Aisha. Like you're going to insult her, you're going to put her down. Don't call. Don't say that she's not really a Muslim. That I just saw another Jewish woman because she's actually, she's become a Muslim. So Aisha radiallahu anha never insulted her with that again. That's not the case of everyone else. But Aisha anha will never bring this up again. And you have to understand not just the particular dynamics here. Subhanallah, in Medina, and I can't wait till we talk about Ikrama ibn Abi Jahl. What's it like when you have the son of Abu Jahl now on your side? What's it like when you have Hind, Bint Utbah, who did what she did on your side, right? We, you remember when Bilal radiyallahu ta'ala anhu uh, walked by Abu Sufyan in Mecca? And they said to Abu Sufyan that the swords of Allah did, ne- did not reach the necks of the enemies of Allah. And Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, you know, tried to stop Bila radiallahu ta'ala anhu from saying that. Ammar anhu from saying that. Look, it's human nature here. There is a process here that's going to unfold between them and some of the hard feelings uh, that exist. But Aisha radiallahu anha did not use that particular term towards her to insinuate that she's just one of the enemies and that she's, you know, she's not even a real Muslim. Uh, again, However, uh, it did happen a few times with her, radiallahu Ta'ala Anha, where that was the insult that was lobbied, that, that was leveled towards her. Uh, that some of the wives of the Prophet said to her, Nahnu Akramu Banatu that we are more honorable, more beloved to the Prophet than her, because we are his wives and we're also his cousins, not his cousins in the phys- like first cousins here. But we're from the same tribe. We're from the same people as the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And one time, the Prophet, sallam, finds radiallahu ta'ala anha in tears, and says, "Why are you crying?" And she says that one of the wives of the Prophet, وسلم, called her al-Bint uh, al uh, right, the daughter of a Jewish woman or a Jewish woman. And look how the Prophet, Wasallam comforts her. It's one of the most beautiful things that you find from our Messenger, He says to her, "What do they have to say about you?" When your father is Harun, your uncle is Musa, and your husband is Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Who's more noble than you? You are the descendants of Harun, alayhi salam. Your father is the prophet Harun, alayhi salam. Your uncle is the prophet Musa, alaihi and your husband is the prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alaihi Comforting her and assuring her that there is nothing uh, that, that holds her back um, in this regard. Safiya رضي الله anha also uh, one of the things that we find uh, from her. The famous incident of Aisha رضي الله عنها breaking the plate. You know, when Aisha رضي الله عنها walked in, her insecurity was her food. She broke the plate in front of the man. And what did the Prophet صلى الله say? غَارَتْ أُمُّكُمْ Your mother has become jealous. Some of the narrations say that it was Safiya رضي الله عنها and Safiya was a good cook. So another reason for Aisha to not like her in that regard. They actually do become very close uh, later on uh, within the seerah of the Prophet. ﷺ. Now, of the most famous instance with Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha is the famous term, Innaha Safiya, she is Safiya. What is the context of this particular story? Safiya radiallahu anha's home was built not directly next to the masjid of the Prophet, ﷺ, but basically a little bit behind where the Hujurat as we know them are. So it's a little bit of a distance compared to the house of for example Aisha radiallahu anha, which is where the Prophet is buried to date. And Safiya radiAllahu ta'ala anha narrates, and this is through multiple narrations, that they went to visit the Prophet, the wives of the Prophet went to visit the Prophet in I'tikaf in Ramadan. So in the last 10 nights of Ramadan, they went to visit the Prophet while he was in I'tikaf in the Masjid. And when they got up to leave, the Prophet said to Safiya, لَا تَعْجَرِي حتى مَعَكَ Don't rush. Let me walk you home. Now, when he says that of the context, uh, وَكَانَ uh, بَيْتُهَا فِي دَارِ usama That her home was in the home of Usama. What that means, as the scholars mention, is that it's a home that Usama ibn Zayd رضي will inhabit later. So the narrators understood where exactly that was, but it wasn't connected directly to the masjid. So the Prophet وسلم says, let me walk you home. It's late at night. And this is, again, from the noble manners of the Prophet ﷺ, that he's going to walk her home uh, so that nothing happens to her and that she feels safe, obviously, and feels a sense of warmth. And the Prophet ﷺ had that way uh, with all of those that were close to him. So the Prophet ﷺ walked with her. فَلَقِيَهُ رَجُلَانِ مِنَ الْأَنصَارِ So two men from the Ansar, they saw the Prophet ﷺ walking with Safiyyah. So they looked at the Prophet ﷺ and they started walking really fast. Why? Right? You know, what did we just see? We don't want to know what we just saw. We're just going to keep on walking. So the Prophet ﷺ, he calls them back and he says, Ta'ala ya, ta'ala ya, come back. Both of you come here. And he says, Inna ha Safiya, This is Safiya, my wife. And they say, SubhanAllah ya Rasulullah, SubhanAllah. What do they mean by that? Of course, we didn't assume anything bad of you, O Messenger of Allah. SubhanAllah ya Rasulullah, SubhanAllah. And the Prophet says, "Inna Shaytan yajri min al-insan, dam That look, the shaitan Shaytan flows through the through a person, the way that blood th- flows through your veins. So I'm I just wanted to root out any thoughts that you have in your mind that I was doing anything inappropriate, that I was walking with someone who's not mahram to me, someone who's not uh, related so that it wouldn't put anything in your, your nufus, in yourselves, and subhanAllah, this hadith has so much fiqh in it, it has so much jurisprudence that's taken from it, even in the, the titles of the chapters of hadith, in Al-Bukhari, uh, Bab ziyaratil mar'ati zawjaha fi the chapter of a woman visiting her husband while he's in i'tikaf, so that's one fiqhi ruling. Um, in Sahih Muslim, bab bayanu anahu yustahabbu liman ru'iya khaliyan bi وَكَانَتْ أَوْ Mahraman لَهُ That it's the chapter of the recommendation of a person who is seen with a woman who is his wife or who mahram to him, but people don't know that, to basically make things clear. So when someone says to you, it's a famous expression, بَابْ مِنْ إِنَّهَا صفية, She is صَفِيًّا What that means is just make things clear. Don't let people doubt certain, certain things about you that it's good for you to clear your name if people start to think a certain thing about you and to not let room, leave room for the shaitan to think certain thoughts. This is so relevant in the age of social media, by the way. Like if you post something that's ambiguous, that could suggest something, just make things clear, right? Try to make things clear so that people do not assume certain things about you. And this is from the famous incident of Safiya, رضي الله تعالى عنها. Now in Hajjatul Wada' we see another, uh, another way in which the Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam shows her a particular type of love and care um, in his expression. And that is that in Hajjatul Wada' when the Prophet Sallallahu went out with his family. And so all of our mothers went out with the Prophet Sallallahu on the farewell Hajj. The Safiyah radiallahu ta'ala Anha's camel took off. All right, so imagine they're in the middle of the journey and Safiyya radiAllahu anha's camel just takes off, so Safiyya radiAllahu anha just breaks down into tears. And SubhanAllah is one of the most beautiful forms of rahmah, of mercy that you see from the Prophet sallallahu in a society where affection was aib; it was shameful. What are you doing, right? How do you show consideration? From Ben al-Mustaliq, the Prophet sallallahu held the entire army because Aisha radiAllahu anha lost her necklace. And now the Prophet is gonna hold everyone back because Safiya radiallahu anha lost her camel. And the Prophet walks to Safiya radiallahu anha, فَجَعَلَ يَمْسَحُ دُمُوعَهَا بِيَدِهِ Sallallahu And the Prophet started to wipe her tears with his hands and started to calm her down. It's okay, I'll get you another camel, don't worry. And he, sh- and he gave her love uh, love and care and affection until she calmed down radiallahu ta'ala anha. SubhanAllah, I mean think about the impact that this has on the psyche of the people to see their Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam showing that much consideration to her radiallahu ta'ala anha in this regard, right? And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam holds the entire army once again until the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam settles uh, Safiyyah radiallahu ta'ala anha. There is a narration that Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told Zainab radiallahu anha to let Safiyya ride with her and she said something very similar along the lines of, you know, all, you know I'm not going to give al-Yahudiya, uh, I'm not going to give her any room on my camel. But the narration has many problems to its senate So I won't, I mean, it's not even worth quoting in this context. Just to say, Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha lost her camel and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa held up everyone in Hajjatul al-Wada'a. Now, in that process, um, Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha, obviously delays basically the, uh, the process of the hajj and the process of everything that's taking place in that regard. You also find many of the narrations of Safiyah radiallahu anha having missed Tawaf al wada' due to um, her purification. And Aisha radiallahu anha of course missed Tawaf ifada. So we see the difference in how the Prophet dealt with the two based upon their circumstances and we take some of the fiqh from that. Now, what are the main qualities of Safiya radiallahu anha? So we, we talked about Juwayriya, a dhikr We talked about Zainab. You know, Juwayriya was a woman who remembered Allah frequently. Zainab radiallahu anha was a woman of tahajjud, a woman of praying qiyam. Hafsa radiallahu anha, sawama qawama, fasting and praying all night, right? So you see all these beautiful qualities. What is safiyyah's superpower, if you will? And this is beautiful. Imam al-Dhahbi rahimahullah says, كانت ذات حلم ووقار. Safiya was a woman of great empathy, great nobility, but really a heart of gold. A woman of great empathy, a woman of great care. She was very soft radiallahu ta'ala anha, very nurturing, very loving. And that was something that the Prophet sallallahu had as a quality as well, of course. The Prophet sallallahu had that hilm, that forbearance, that softness, that empathy towards uh, his ummah, towards people. Safiyyah radiallahu ta'ala manifested it in a very beautiful way. And so when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi was dying Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha what did she do she started to cry as well she saw the Prophet sallallahu alaihi in pain and she says wallahi ya nabiy allah law tu anna alladhi bika bi fa ramazaha azwajuhu sallallahu alaihi wasallam." so uh, afsaruhunna so basically what the narration says is that when she saw the Prophet sallallahu alaihi in pain she said you know, feeling pain herself. Oh Messenger of Allah, how I wish that your pain was my pain. I wish that what is happening to you right now was happening to me instead. So what do the other wives of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi do? They started to roll their eyes and started like, oh my God, here she goes again. Right? That's literally what uh means. Right? Like they rolled their eyes and are just like, here she goes again with that, you know, love and care for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Like even here she has to say that and as if she was saying it. To make a scene, right? To just simply say it as an expression or to show a particular favor with the Prophet. The Prophet وسلم, is between life and death, and the Prophet وسلم, says, Madmidna, which literally means wash your mouths out. Wash your mouths out. And they said, Minay Rasulullah, what is it, O Messenger of Allah? And he said, Because of your mockery of Safiya, Wallahi I swear by Allah she's telling the truth. It's not fair for you to mock her. She's telling the truth. And that testimony, imagine how beloved it was to Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha that the Prophet says in his last days, Wallahi innaha Sadiq." She's a truthful woman. Like she's been through a lot in these last two years because there's a constant question mark over her as a convert and particularly from one of the hostile Jewish tribes and particularly the daughter of Huyayi ibn Akhtab who was hated to the Muslims but it's not fair and the Prophet lifeum is saying wallahi innaha l-sadiqa she's a truthful uh woman which is a, a major form of praise and one of the things that safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha narrates is that qumtu ila nabiy sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fa qaltu لَيْسَ مِنْ أَزْوَاجِكَ أَحَدٌ ahadun illa laha أَوْ aw so i said to the Prophet lifeum all of your wives have someone close to them they have family they have someone to take care of them after you pass away but she says Mentul Sayybi, who are you going to put you know in charge of me? Like who's who's gonna care for me after you pass away? And the Prophet ﷺ said, U ila Ali taala Anhu. So he put her under the care of Ali, which is that you remain in my family, amongst Ahlul Bayt, and you will be taken care of, and Ali is in charge of your affairs. So basically the Prophet ﷺ placing her under the special care of Ali and assuring her that it's not like now that I die, everyone's gonna turn on you. Right, The ummah is going to turn on Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha Because of who she is So she lives after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And subhanAllah Even what's narrated after the death of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam Has to do with the suspicion about her So the next narration we have of her Is in the time of Umar bin khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu A servant girl A jaria of Safiya radiallahu anha Comes to Umar bin khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhum Who was the khalifa at the time and he says, and she says to Umar, "Inna Safiya tuhibbu Sabbat." Safiya still observes the Sabbath. I just want you to know, I'm her servant girl. Safiya still observes the Sabbath, al and she still has her ties with the Jews of Medina, like as if to again to, to once again place that suspicion around Safiya radiallahu taala and to make it out to be that she's got something up her sleeve. So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anha goes to Safiya رضي الله ta'ala anha to ask her about what the servant girl said. So she responds and she says, As for a sept, as for the Sabbath, amma sept, falam أُحِبَّهُ مُنذُ abdalani اللَّهُ bihi al She said, I never loved the Sabbath after Allah azza wa gave me jumu'ah in exchange for the Sabbath. So that's a complete lie. I don't observe the Sabbath. And I, I instead observe al-Jum'ah. I observe Friday. And she says, وَأَمَّ الْيَهُودِ As for the Jews of Medina, فَإِنَّ لِي فِيهِم رَحِمًا أَصِلُهَا They're still my family. And so I uphold the ties of kinship with my family. And I uphold mercy and love towards them. This is a part of our deen. Subhanallah, look at the justice of Islam. I'm not gonna mistreat them because of what happened in Khaybar and what happened with, with those three tribes. That's still my family. So those that had nothing to do with all of that, they don't deserve to be mistreated. It's my responsibility to still treat them with that rahmah. And Umar Anhu said, Absolutely. Right? Like Umar is not gonna to say to her, but no, you have to cut them off, and no, you have to do this, no, you have to. This is Islam, this is a deen of, of justice. A religion of justice. So then, Safiya radiyallahu anha after Umar radiyallahu anhu leaves, she calls the Jaria. She calls the young girl. She says, "Ma hamalaki ala ma sanati? Why did you do that? Why would you try to create a friction between me and Amir al-Mu'minin?" So what did she say? What do your kids say if they get in trouble? If they're smart, they'll say, "Shaitan." I didn't do it. The Shaitan did it. I just I was overcome by the Shaitan. The Shaitan told me to do it. Safiya, Oh Safiyah. So Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha said Go, you are free Now, what's really interesting here Is that this is actually found in the chapters of Ihsan Of excellence towards those that harm you If someone that's under your mercy A captive or a servant Or someone says something like that to you At that time I mean, you're going to discipline, punish, right? Safiya radiallahu anha responded with Ihsan With excellence And she said, you know what? you're free to go. So it's pardon and forgiveness. And on top of that, you're free to go. So this is the highest level of testimony to Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha. We also find uh, with our mother Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha that when the fitna of Uthman radiallahu anhu happened. so again, you start to see empathy. You start to see the love and the care that this woman has and her special heart. When the fitna of Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu happened, that Safiya radiallahu anha tried to go to the house of Uthman radiallahu anhu herself with food and drink despite her vulnerability. Now keep in mind, the people of Fitna that were surrounding the house of Uthman, they had no mercy, no mercy on anyone, no mercy on the men, no mercy on the women, no mercy on the children, no mercy on anyone. These were youth that were supposedly driven by their religion. I mean, they were bit, again, they, 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 they claimed to be very religious people, but somehow found it in themselves to mistreat even the wives of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And Safiya radiAllahu Anhu was small in stature, and she didn't have anyone with her. And she goes out on her camel to the house of Uthman radiAllahu Anhu in the midst of the fitnah, carrying her food and her drink. And she said that a young man walked up and he smacked the face of the camel. Not her, but smacked the face of the camel to basically turn around and leave. So I understood that that was a warning, that they would hit me next, or that they would harm me if I tried again. So SubhanAllah, her home was close enough to Uthman ta'ala anhum, that wada'at Hashaban min manziliha ila manzili Uthman. She basically put like a, a, a wood, almost a bridge of sorts. She, she erected some sort of a structure from the rooftop of her home, to the rooftop of Uthman Allah ta'ala anhu, and somehow she was transferring al-ma' wa ta'am as long as she could. She was trying to send food and drink over to Uthman ta'ala anhu to help him, even through that plank, like tilting it over, so that it would go into the top of the house of Uthman ta'ala anhu, until the people of Fitna, they cut that off as well. So first they showed a little bit of empathy, like, you know, look at this sad state, right? The wife of the Prophet ﷺ is trying so hard to help him when he's under siege, and eventually... Uh, they cut that off as well. So this is really the quality of Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha that shines the quality of al-hilm, the quality of empathy, the quality of love and concern that she had for the Prophet sallallahu that she had for the Muslims in general. And that was a softness that was beloved to uh, the Prophet And we learn so much of our ethics from the story. And the last thing subhanAllah in regards to her ethics is Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha when she was passing away, she had sold her hujra, her home, for hundred thousand uh, uh, dinars, and so she had a lot of money because she sold her home, basically. And she had a brother, kana laha achun yahudi. She had a brother who was still Jewish, and she maintained her family relationships. So aradat alehi and yuslima She said to him, "Listen, become Muslim and you'll inherit." If you become Muslim, you'll inherit. فَأَبَى But he, re- he refused to. He didn't become Muslim. فَأَوْصَتْ لَهُ بِثُلَثِ المئة. So she gave or she made in her wasiyah that the one-third of your wasiyah, the one-third of your will, of your inheritance, can go towards whatever you want, right? So you have the two-thirds that are by the equation and the one-third that's for whatever you want. So subhanAllah, out of her love for her brother, out of her love for her family, she still executed her will to be from that one third to go towards him. And this is also fiqh, by the way, the you know, uh, willing from that one third towards someone who's not Muslim, a Muslim to one who's not Muslim from that one third, right into her family. And in one narration, by the way, it's mentioned that she also uh, willed a thousand dinars to Aisha radiAllahu ta'ala anha. So Aisha and Safiya were close at the time of her death. And it also says in one narration, libni Akhin laha uh to a nephew uh, of hers and that that nephew when he heard about that, by the time he heard the 1,000 dinars had already been squandered and Aisha radiAllahu ta'ala Anha was upset. So Aisha radiAllahu Anha said, give him the 1,000 that she gave to me because that's something that she promised to him. So to fulfill that. And in fact, Aisha radiAllahu Anha was asked, there was objection. How could we let from the household of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam this wealth go towards the Jewish relatives of Safiyyah? It's not gonna go towards the Muslims. How can we let this happen? And Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha told them to fear Allah and to honor Safiyya radiallahu anha's bequest. So much can be taken from this, right? SubhanAllah, look at again, the justice, the adl, the ethics, the mercy uh, that we find in an Islam. And Aisha radiallahu anha praises her character and they prayed janazah on her in Al-Madinah and Safiyya radiallahu ta'ala anha is buried in Al-Baqir uh, where our mothers that passed away in Medina are buried may Allah subhanahu wa taala be pleased with her and have mercy on her and join us with her and with all of our mothers and with our beloved Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. ala Inshallah taala, I'll go ahead and I will take questions. We only have a few minutes before salatul isha. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, the Forerunners of Islam.